Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. A lot of us have a need to be perfect, just show up in this space needing to prove something or live up to something as opposed to just showing up this space as someone who's strong in areas and a work in progress in others. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at DonorPerfect. Today, I'm interviewing Camila Martin. Camila has navigated the nonprofit world for 20 years, both as a nonprofit executive and as a nonprofit executive consultant. In 2020, with the world feeling turned upside down, she resigned from an organization whose lived values no longer aligned with hers. She took a risk as the primary breadwinner for her family of four and bet on herself, leaning into her passions, talents, and purpose. She is now the founder and CEO of Catalyst Consulting, where she has the great fortune of building safe and empowering communities for women of color consultants through the Catalyst Nonprofit Consulting Mastermind Group and Fill Your Cup Retreats, centered in equity, integrity, compassion, and humanity. In this conversation, we are untangling the many ways that we can get in the way of our best intentions, especially when we've got unexplored blind spots. We are talking particularly about ego in this episode, how it shows up, when it's problematic, and why we try to protect it at all costs. As an executive coach, this is such an important conversation for us to be having because it can make all the difference to hold space for self-inquiry around deeply ingrained, often counterproductive beliefs. And Camila has seen that self-aware leaders tend to be the most successful because they bring a humanity-centered set of tools and solutions. Even when we're doing all the work and showing up for ourselves the best we know how, there are going to be emotional triggers. Fundraisers, like all humans, will always be a work in progress. This conversation nudges us to take some grace and loosen that grip on perfectionism. Openness is like a breath of fresh air, plus it truly helps our organizations thrive. So let's dive in so you can meet Camila. Welcome, everyone. I am so happy to be here today with Camila Martin. Camila, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to speak with you, Mallory. So let's start with just telling everyone a little bit about you and your work and what brings you to our conversation today. Sure. I am a former, possibly recovering nonprofit executive who's recently transitioned into independent consulting. So I work with senior leaders and executives at nonprofit organizations, primarily supporting leadership transitions. It's interesting. I transitioned into this space a couple of years ago, and it's really allowed me the opportunity to play with a few things. So that's one of the things I do. I also host executive women's retreats, basically creating safe spaces for primarily black and brown women to come together and just 
basically be taken care of. And then also I run a mastermind community for other nonprofit executives who are transitioning to independent consulting. It's an interesting phase in my life. I'm experimenting with a lot of fun things. I'm leaning into some interests and passions and just tapping into a bunch of experience. And it's been great. So that's who I am. So my company is Catalyst, Catalyst Consulting, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah. So before we clicked record, we were talking a little bit about what's been top of mind for you recently, particularly around what's happening in the executive leadership conversations you've been having. And this topic of ego came up and how women navigate ego in leadership positions. So why don't you start us off by just talking a little bit about that and what you were sharing with me? Yeah. So let me tell you why this came up. So I was taking a couple days of R&R with a woman colleague. She's a consultant. And I don't remember what our conversation was about, but every challenge that we were discovering that we were facing, for some reason, this thread of ego kept resurfacing in the conversation we were having and how it can be a blocker. And then that got me thinking about a lot of the executives I work with, my history in 20 years in the nonprofit sector, and how that seems to really be a root cause for leaders who manage to lead and run teams and transition through change successfully. And those who, in my opinion, didn't. I really feel like that's an important factor once we had that conversation just became front of mind for me. It just made me check myself in relationship with my family and other people that I'm working with. Where does ego show up? And am I mindful of it? And am I aware of the power and control that it has over how I make decisions? That's how it came about. And I've worked recently and consulted with several organizations who are going through some leadership transitions. And the ones, like I mentioned before, that seem to navigate it successfully are the ones that know that they don't have all the answers and are able to, again, take a pause and recognize when what's showing up is really a solution to a problem or them protecting something within themselves or trying to continue some sort of narrative that they might have for themselves. I would love to kind of explore this conversation with you, this topic with you. I don't know where it's going to go, but for whatever reason, it's just something that's been coming to me a lot over the past couple of weeks. I think it's valuable for leaders to kind of just take a look in a mirror sometime and say, is this what's really happening? Is this really real? Is it my perception? Is it my ego? I love it. Can we define ego like for the purposes of this conversation, like how would you define ego? Oh, so sense of self, right? And the relationship between self and reality and how strongly self is showing up or your relationship to self and others. Ego to me just means how am I showing up in this space? What space am I taking up in this space? Am I aware of the variance perhaps between me and the space I'm taking up and how I'm moving through this space and what the reality is or what someone else might need. Just an awareness of self. Yeah. Maybe you did look it up beforehand because I just did. So we had it. But, and the first definition that comes up is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. But what's interesting to me about that is related to what you said before, the way that when ego really gets in the way of leadership is when we are protecting it at all costs. But then that makes me think that that's because we have a very binary vantage point of what deserves our self-esteem or our self-importance. So we must be valuing having all the answers as the thing worthy of giving us self-esteem if not having all the answers would damage our ego. (laughs) You wanted to go there. (laughs) 
Yes, I'm glad we're recording so I can go write that down. Absolutely. I think that's exactly what it is. So I have an example of a transition where someone was exited from an organization. The executive director had a choice of how do you handle that situation? You can handle it with a sense of strength and perhaps authoritarianism. That's a direction you can take. You can be overly vulnerable and too communicative about what's happening. You can bring in outside expertise to support in that transition to understand maybe I don't have all the answers and there's someone who is specialized in this area. And I think what's been interesting since I've been in this consulting space, which is we're all coming in with our own expertise, is the organizations that seem to do it well are organizations that recognize what they have, the strengths that they have, and then be very vulnerable and honest about what they're missing. And instead of trying to pretend and be cheap about it or act as though, again, they have all the answers, they're willing to find some help. And think about ourselves, right? In personal relationships, if I'm lacking in something, therapy is what you do. I'm so grateful nowadays that we're having those conversations more. There are people who are specialized in certain things. There are people who have gifts that other people don't have. And I think it's smart. It's good human practice to check yourself, recognize what yourself is in this situation and get support if you don't have it. So yeah, the ones that seem to have done it well, either got support or had a really strong, cohesive team internally that were able to really, again, pull in people's strengths kind of within that space. And the board tends to be more supportive of those organizations or the board can tap into their resources often and bring people in or again, even use the board's experience in these sorts of situations that keep humanity first. Like I'm always about keeping that perspective of keeping humanity first. I understand bottom line, I understand strategy, I understand donors, but I really feel like the ones that are successful are the ones that recognize that to keep humanity and people and spirits and energy, like all part of that priority list. I don't know where we went with this, but I think (laughs) that's an example that I have of ones that seem to do it right. And the ones that don't do it right are ones that think they know everything. Maybe that's why it's been top of mind. I've seen lots of turnover happening within our field. It's happening everywhere. People are really searching for spaces where they can feel that they can be their full selves or they can use their strengths or they feel supported. And I really think in our our industry in particular, because a lot of us go into it with altruistic reasons and very feeling, needing Mm. to feel a connection to the mission and the people and the organization, it can really do us a disservice if we're not paying attention to how we're showing up, how our leadership is there or not. You know, what you're also making me think about is that I think in the nonprofit sector, actually, because there is a lot of altruism happening and because there is a lot of helper energy amongst the leadership, I think we see a lot of deflection around the need to look at ego because we're martyring ourselves for our mission. And so we don't like, of course, this wouldn't be about me because I'm sacrificing myself on the line for this cause. And when I see toxic ego in organizations, it's very much related to the relationship between those things. It's actually, I think a little bit less about, I think I know all the answers and more about deep down, I don't feel the sense of importance that I want to feel. And so I'm protecting that with all my might. And I'm not looking at it deeply because I feel like I have a good case for why this isn't about me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I would say that 
organizations whose founders are still involved is a whole other beast of that puzzle. Those are some of the trickiest spaces to navigate, I think, around this whole ego conversation. When does it shift from the me to the we? But yeah, I 100% agree with that assessment as well. It's an interesting space that we work in. I think every organization I've been in, in the nonprofit space, and there have been a lot, for the most part, it's good people trying to do good. And I think the misstep is the projection. Yeah, I think there's a lot of systemic issues in our sector that lead to people being on the defense in a lot of different ways. And so I think that's also the hard piece around the ego conversation is on the one hand, we want to be building up the self-confidence of leadership in this sector. That's really important. But to me, self-confidence is knowing who you are as a leader, standing in integrity and alignment, not knowing everything, but knowing who you are. And that means knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know, or sometimes not knowing what you don't know, but being willing to hear it and take accountability for it. But that's different because it's about building inside instead of a projection of importance externally. Yes. Let's talk about the systemic stuff. Let's talk about the power dynamic between the nonprofit and the funders. How does ego play into how, you know, this is a big conversation that's happening now about decentering foundations and philanthropies, decentering themselves and making the grant making processes more democratic, more valuable and effective for those who are out there actually doing work. And there's some great articles that came out recently. Kathy Reek from Ford Foundation just put something out there that was really insightful around the way that her build program, BUILD program at Ford is trying to flip some of the traditional ways of grant making on its head. And I think there are some other organizations out there that are trying to get on board, get on the train of recognizing that they have that power dynamic very clearly and ways that you can see very directly systemic issues within the field. Again, ego, how does it play into that power dynamic and how does it play into the way that our industry and field has set up some of those systemic barriers and challenges. And then we can talk about, of mm-hmm. course, the differences in funding for organizations led by Black people and people of color, those disparities and how ego kind of played. It's a big mm-hmm. thing. And I think self-awareness, self-reflection is all the rage. And I really think the industry as a whole has work to do in terms of how we get our work done, who's benefiting, who's pulling the strings. These big kind of galas, is the purpose of them really serving the purpose? Is it to serve the self and the ego? There's so much conversation I think we can have about this. I think it extends through so many systems and structures in the business world. Like now that I'm an entrepreneur and kind of exploring the mm-hmm. space, it's really interesting to see a lot of the similarities in venture capital and how you can get indoors and in rooms, the network, mm-hmm. the social capital. So this conversation is going deep fast. <laughs> it's, it's, it's That's what we tend to do, but we've never really talked specifically about ego on here. I feel like it's been a thread that showed up in different conversations, but not particularly highlighted. I'm curious with your clients, if someone heard this conversation and came to you and said, okay, I want to talk about ego. Like I want to start process my own relationship with ego. How would you guide them to start looking in a mirror around that? I advise them to get an executive coach. First T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. 
It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. I think there are a lot of good ones out there. I don't do that. I've seen the impact, I will say, of someone working with a good executive coach. I don't know who to, how to direct people to find the good and the not good, but I think some keys are, what is that that executive coach's experience? Have they run through the ranks or have they just completed a coaching program? Not to diss that, but I think there's something about lived experience that's really valuable and mm. particularly this kind of conversation to get therapist, honestly, because a lot of that self-work is, it can be in addition to coaching. I think in this time that we're in, this is just a season of self-actualization, mm. like evolving. The ones that are going to come out of this ready for the next thing whatever that is in our universe are going to be the people that really took the time to question and really look at and understand their role in the space. And by the space, I mean their existence in this time in our lives. And then what self-work are you doing to improve yourself, your inner circle relationships, your professional relationships, because all of that stuff starts to interweave and trickle together. Get a coach, get a therapist, do some self-work and then expand it outside of that because it has to start with you. I've also seen this where leaders will bring in experts who work on their team and they're sort of removed from that process. And I think it has to be an integrated process. You have to be going through some of this work yourself because chances are, if you were to really look in the mirror, a lot of us are the root of some of the patterns that we see within our organizations. Yeah. Okay. I want to share a coaching concept with you and get your opinion on it related to ego. I've never thought about it this way before. Okay. So at the beginning of the conversation, you were talking about, I don't know if you use this word particularly, but it came up for me when you were talking about the role ego plays in delicate situations like a transition, for example. And what it made me think about is how one of the ways I would say I am having a healthy relationship to my ego in the moment is if I have clarity around something. And if I see multiple pathways, one of the things I think about, and I'm a certified executive coach and I'm always being coached. Like that's what I would say. I believe like you in coaching for everybody. If I could just give executive coaching to everybody, that would be a life dream. But one of the concepts that I think about is that okay, when we are in a protection mode, like an ego protection mode, things become very binary and very black and white. And there's one right way. And that tends to be our way is the right way, but things are very tunnel vision. And when I feel that in myself, I can tell, okay, I'm trying to protect something right now. In my coaching framework, we call that catabolic energy. Like there's a lot of resistance that's happening there. And it's like, I'm trying to protect something. Something feels unsafe around me exploring my vulnerability with that piece. And when I feel like I'm having a healthy relationship to my ego is when I see a prism of opportunities and I feel a sense of clarity and I feel a sense of openness. And I'm just curious, yeah, first of all, how that sort of resonates with you even as a concept. Yeah, I think it's brilliant to tie it back to just personal experiences. I've been doing a lot of like, again, self-work and thinking about security and safety and all that kind of stuff. And, and like you said, the way, the way it shows up in other ways to make you behave and react in ways that aren't really aligned with reality, right? Perception versus mm. reality. 
I think that's absolutely the case. And I think from this conversation, one thing that I could do for myself is just simply ask myself, okay, like you said, what am I protecting here? Or what's making me feel unsafe? I think from your coaching perspective, that's something every leader can be mindful of. Those are two very simple questions, right? That I think when there's conflict or when you're experiencing significant conflict or patterns of conflict that Mm. seem to be the same thing, Those are two very simple questions I think that you can pause and take a step back and ask yourself that I think will provide so much clarity around why perhaps you're showing up a certain way or what additional resources you might need to feel safe and to feel protected. Is it something that's within your control or something that's outside of your control? And what is within your control to change in that moment, right? So yeah, I think that's a brilliant alignment between what we were talking about and very concrete, specific coaching practices you can do in the moment. Or even like in the moment, if you're blowing up when you're reflecting after the fact, be able to ask yourself those questions and then have the maturity and the emotional intelligence to repair whatever wounds you might've caused. So it resonates definitely with me. Can we talk about that piece? The way that leaders can sit in uncomfortable situations to take accountability around something without it becoming a ruminating self-critic, beat yourself up about this for the rest of your life. You're a bad person thing? That's a good question. I think that's a big question. And I think that's part of the self-work. Not everybody is naturally equipped with that ability, again, because of whatever past baggage they might be bringing to the table or with the ability to kind of just be in that moment and to be mindful and still that moment. There's two examples that come to mind. I was in a board meeting one time and things were really strange and crazy. And the interim ED to just destabilize everything and deflect it and just required people to take stock and stake and where we were in this moment and what was really happening. And I just thought her approach was just so brilliant in that moment, but it took an incredible level of self-restraint and also mindfulness. Like she had to have have some practices in something to be able to help her not absorb everything that was going on around her that was just incredibly toxic and odd. I don't know how to answer that question. Unfortunately, I think it really goes back to the practices that you were doing as a leader to protect your peace so that you make sure in those moments you can take a step back, but nobody's perfect. I've blown up with my husband. It's really hard when you're feeling pushed and triggered to sit there in a space of kind of attention and mindfulness and just be in that space. But I think the difference is, again, the recovery. You can be human, you can make those mistakes, but you've got to be able to go somewhere and reflect on what happened and then be able to come back and heal and recover from that and apologize. And that takes work, that takes coaching, that takes therapy, that takes a level of peace that I think as humans, like we should be striving for in general. Imagine if all of us sort of had that training and and wherewithal growing up throughout our lives, what the world could be, but we all don't. And it's hard and coaching is expensive at times. And so is therapy. So there's all these barriers, I think, to getting there. But I think having that awareness, if that's the kind of leader that you think is effective and the kind of leader you want to be of figuring out how to do that work. Yeah. I think what I really appreciate and want to double click on with what you were saying is this awareness that all leaders, I've never met a leader who doesn't get triggered by something. Every leader has their buttons. And I think what I see a lot in my coaching work is that sometimes folks will say after a certain amount of time, well, I feel like that shouldn't have bothered me anymore. Now that I understand all these things and I know all this stuff about myself and I'm like, 
your deepest wound, your deepest (laughs) inner gremlin, that tenderness doesn't go away. The amount of time you spend circling around that tenderness can shift and change and you can have skills to see it and move beyond it and take the microphone away and all those things. But I think we have this perception and maybe this goes back even to that ego thing, what we believe to be a strong leader, then sort of enforce the perception we want to give off as a leader, which is never doubt yourself, never feel uncomfortable, never get activated in public. And I'm not saying there isn't backlash to those things, particularly on systemic oppression lines. But I think for people to know that they're not alone in that being true, that it doesn't mean they are a bad leader because those things happened and that the leadership is in the recovery is a really powerful concept. Absolutely. And it's so true. You can have the healthiest culture and environment in an organization and mess up and It's just all about how you repair is what I've seen. I've done it. I've messed up. What tends to, I think, lead to my success really in leading teams and organizations. One is I, out the gate, I don't come in pretending to know everything. I come in very strong in what I'm strong in. And I allow other people to show up and highlight and be successful in the areas that they're successful in. We're human. And then there has to be some grace for that too. And I think a lot of us have a need to be perfect. Just show up in this space needing to prove something or feeling like we need to be something or live up to something as opposed to just showing up this space as someone who's strong in areas and a work in progress in others. And our job is to build the people and teams around us and to create the culture and environment around us to allow people to thrive in that human state, reaching towards similar goals, resolving challenges and issues with empathy and care. I'm making it sound really simple and basic, but isn't it? Shouldn't it just be that simple of being human, doing the right thing, taking care of people. How would you want to be treated? Like all of those things we grow up learning, I guess sometimes gets lost when you're looking at bottom lines and you're under pressure and trying to do reporting and and things like that to funders. But I just feel like it doesn't have to be that difficult. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting because I often say related to fundraising that it's not actually that you need all these new things. You don't really need all these new strategies. What you need is removal of the things that are getting in your way of doing those things. And I think that's the same thing here. It is pretty simple. What gets in the way is when we don't feel like we're enough. And then we set up all these things to prove to everyone that we're enough. And in doing so, we cause tons of harm. We hoard power. We hoard resources. I would say that one of my big untanglings with perfectionism came to my personal anti-racism work and recognizing the way that like my perfectionist tendencies were harming people. I think that's what we all should be doing. Some people have different baggage and things that they need to kind of untangle and privilege that they need to reconcile. Everyone has some level of privilege. That's a belief that I have. I was having a conversation with a friend about how I was able to transition into this consulting space. And honestly, like it's because one of the first jobs I had out of college contributed 15% of my salary to retirement and it's done fine for the last 10 to 15 years. So I had a cushion. So that's my privilege. Like I'm out here saying I'm able to pursue liberation because I know I have that cushion and that safety net that most other people probably don't have. 
So everybody has privilege. And I do think a lot of it is around unpacking the various things that we need to untangle. Yeah, there's so many layers to it. I'm curious, something that you said maybe before we clicked record was around the relationship between ego and trust. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I run this company. I have one part-time staff person. I have a bunch of vendors and contractors that we hire for our various workshops and things. My kids last two weeks of summer break. And the first real summer break I've had as a real entrepreneur, I started the mastermind group we do in January of this year. So I had to really reconcile wanting to disconnect, but also wanting to make sure stuff ran the way I wanted it to run. Mm -hmm. I found myself, this ego thing came up in that moment too. So I'm like, okay, I have to, again, decenter my expectations, decenter this bam, bam, bam stuff that I know needs to happen. My sense of perfectionism and need for things that need to happen and trust that my fabulous part-time administrative colleague is going to handle it. I set her up since we started working together, hopefully in a position to be able to, to thrive and succeed without me breathing down her neck. And I don't think I'm that kind of manager in general. It was a moment where I really did have to stop and say, okay, I would like to take these two weeks off and be with my kids. I wasn't perfect at it. Like I'm on my phone checking stuff and worrying about how the mastermind group is going. And I had to realize that in that space, I had created this thing. It's not about me. It's about how we're helping these women. I brought a, an incredibly capable person to support and I'm gonna let her do it. I'm gonna let her do her thing. And I thought as leader of my company, um, I keep doing this. Like it's a legit, it's a company. You are, you are, yes. <laughs> you are actually the leader of your company. <laughs> as a leader of my company, I had to just be okay stepping back and trusting that she could handle it. And I've had managers who never have trust, who never have the ability to step back and take a vacation or who think they don't have the ability to step back and take a vacation because they're going to come back to a bajillion emails or something's going to go wrong. I turn that on self, like safety, protection. Like what about you makes you feel you can't turn off? What about me made me feel like I wanted to check in to see how many people showed up for the mastermind webinar. So yeah, constantly untangling, unpacking all of that stuff. And I really think Again, going back to leadership, decenter yourself when needed and trust yourself that you've built a capable group and team to run with things that when they, when they need to be run in your absence. And of course that can't happen all the time, but for your own sort of self-protection and self-care, like you need to be able to keep those two things in mind so that you can be full. Yeah. And I wonder, how do you think about supporting a leader to have a healthy relationship with ego? in relationship to their board. Like you brought up that example before, but one of the things that was so hard for me as a nonprofit leader when I was running an organization was the board. And I had actually like a pretty wonderful board. I had one very toxic board member and I had 12 wonderful board members. But what was challenging was that they were 13 very different people, which meant they all always had different opinions around different things and whether I was doing a good job or did the right thing or did the wrong thing. And to have 13 bosses, to always feel like you were disappointing someone, the people pleaser in me had a really hard time with it. And I struggled to have a healthy relationship with my ego in the midst of management from 13 different people. I'm curious what comes up for you when you hear that. We need to have an entirely different podcast. 
relationship between the executive directors and boards and the relevance of boards in our day and age. Like I have very strong opinions mm. on the experiences I've had in the sector with the idea of boards of directors, how they can be most effective and how more frequently they, they can be detrimental. So again, I feel like that's a whole topic to have. There's people who go through kind of board leadership training and a lot of EDs do sort of like a lot of trust-based and culture-based building of the board if they have the support of their board chair leading that effort when a new ED comes on board or when new board members come on board, they do a refresher. I think that's a basic way to kind of eat at that kind of culture, trust, power dynamic. But mm-hmm. that is a big question. And I think, again, it we can have an entire conversation about that. I don't have an answer for that. And that's something that is one of those things where I'm like, something's broken here. <laughs> I don't know the answer other than completely uprooting the way the 501c3 legal structure mm. is required. And, you know, I don't know if it's different because I haven't had experience in for-profit boards, but I don't know if it's different because it's a volunteer position in nonprofit spaces mm. versus with corporate boards, you have, again, the bottom line to kind of help make decisions. It's about, are we mm. making profit or are we not? Are our shareholders making profit? Are they not? So it makes it more black and white and cut and dry in some sort of other unhealthy ways. But the nonprofit board ED dynamic and just structure and system is just something I think we need to evaluate. And I think it's counterintuitive to mission-driven organizations, I think, in a lot of ways. I've seen one healthy nonprofit board in my entire 20-year career that I've worked in nonprofits. I don't know why they were so healthy when every single other one I've seen had very strong and healthy elements to it. Maybe two. There have been two. I don't know. That's a big question. That's a big question. And I think it's something that we need to be exploring in our space because so much starts and ends with the board in terms of how much money you can raise, how much you can work towards your mission, how frequently the ED turns over. And then that trickles down, of course, to the organization. The board needs to be an entire discussion. (laughs) Yeah, it probably needs to be an entire mini series. And so at the end of this show, I'll invite folks to send me a little voice note around your top board questions and challenges. And we can use that as a jumping off point, maybe to have a larger conversation and bring in different folks. Camila, thank you so much for this conversation today and really for all of the ways in which you are getting leaders and systems to think differently about different ways that they can sort of show up and be the embodied and aligned versions of themselves. So really thank you. you. Thank you. It's interesting how I've landed in this place in my career, but it's my goal really just to help people be the best versions of themselves. And I value the nonprofit sector. I've been in it since I was 21 or 22 years old. So I think it's an an important space and we have a lot of good things that we're doing and also a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And I'll make sure all the links are below for your website and your LinkedIn profile so folks can connect with you and learn more about a mastermind group. So we'll have all that below. Folks should go and check it out. And thank you so much. Thank you, Mallory. Take care. All right. I love the way that Camila showed up for this episode, wanting to roll up her sleeves and explore a concept together. The long-form conversational nature of this show really allows for some deep and insightful conversation. Here are some of my top takeaways from this conversation. Number one, we need to be checking in with our relationship to our ego regularly and looking at whether or not it's getting between us and the goals we want to achieve. Number two, the organizations that fare best through stressful transitions tend to take a humanity-centered approach that honors people and the energy they bring. Number three, 
When we're in alignment, there's a sense of openness and clarity instead of the defensiveness and black and white thinking that can often come from protecting our ego. Number four, you can be a highly actualized leader and still experience emotional triggers. Give yourself grace. We are all always going to be a work in progress. And number five, perfectionism isn't just hard on us. It's oppressive for others around us. Offering trust to others loosens our ego's controlling and perfectionist grip. Okay, there are so many more takeaways and tips inside this episode, so head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Camila, Catalyst Consulting, and our amazing sponsors, Donor Perfect. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to malloryerickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.